If I have the mute button on, sometimes I, I do that trick. It's working? Oh, good deal. All right. So this morning, I got up at 7. I like to on Sunday morning. You notice my lame PowerPoint, and that is, I'll explain that. I get up, uh, you. This is about you. I get up uh, at 7 o'clock, and uh, this morning I go downstairs. On Sunday morning, my routine when I when I speak is I get up, try to get up early, and... Uh, um, put together, I, you know, if, when I'm doing the reading and the research, and then Sunday morning when when it's going to be fresh in my mind, I put together my outline and my take my notes and put it into my little uh, cheat sheet and I, my PowerPoint. And this morning, um, I went through the work of putting together my outline, putting together my PowerPoint, and um, for whatever reason, the Matthew Johnson given PowerPoint would not save. And as I continued to try to save it, the, it erased everything off of my PowerPoint. And then I went and I thought, I'll just cut and paste from this onto the PowerPoint. And I erased everything off of this somehow. And so about 8.30, you, if, when you heard your name being said in vain, that was me. Okay, if your ears were burning, that was me. So You and Samsung, but mostly you. Excited about this passage, and it, it will deal with um, what I think is just such an important and critical part of who we are, and that's our heart. And you'll see throughout the passage as we get going here that Jesus addresses man's heart. Now, um, last year as I was starting my read through the, the Bible in a year routine so that I could brag about it when I accomplished it, I started off strong. All right, Old Testament. We, we cruised through the Old Testament. I didn't even bother trying to pronounce names. We just worked through it, all right? We, we got through it. And I had some serious Christian bragging rights because I was on schedule. And then we hit the Gospels. And, because I found it so difficult to read through the Gospels in big chunks at a time. There's just too much going on. And, and maybe because I'm not... Real smart dude, but I, I was having to break down uh, the Gospels into these chunks to understand what was going on because there's just so much there. In fact, you can read the Gospels back uh, in about four different ways. You can read it through just for the story, kind of the story of, of Jesus. You can read it through a second time and, and read it for the teaching of Jesus. You can read it through a third time and look at the prophecy. And that, it was... Uh, been said, and then you can look at a fourth time and try to get the overall picture of what was going on. And so there is, just, and you can read more than that. There's just so much going on in the New Testament. So again, Matthew signs me 37 verses this morning. So thanks, Matthew. But we're going to try to get through it. And this book, even though this chapter, Mark 7, even though it is a, a large one, it connects in some really beautiful ways. And I don't know if it's. Um, well, I don't know how to say that because I, I think I know that it was purposely intended to do that, but there's so many great connections that we'll see. So um, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time this morning and, and really uh, open our hearts to what He has. Father, I'm really grateful uh, for this church, grateful for uh, the chance that we have every Sunday to get together and, and look at Your Word and, and try to understand what Your best is for us. Uh, God, there's a huge opportunity for me to get in the way of um, of what your clear message from this chapter would be. And so I pray you uh, refuse to let that happen. 
I pray that your spirit would uh, come into our hearts and uh, would just uh, do a good work, that you would move uh, any of the hardness that has, has been created in there, that you would uh, take away any of the uh, the bitterness that would get in the way of, of new life in there. And I pray that you would just do an awesome work in our hearts this morning in your name. Amen. Mark 7. We begin with, with Jesus being on a journey and he is uh, outside um, and on, on a journey with his disciples. And uh, we'll start and we'll read verse 1 to 5 of Mark 7. So if you'll turn there in your Bible and read with me. Mark 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they can carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? So we start this chapter with uh, the examining of a relationship. And that is the relationship of Jesus and the Pharisees. It, it's a very interesting relationship, and, and you see the conflict throughout the Gospel, throughout Jesus' life really, is this conflict with Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes. And as you read, you get the impression that no one riles up Jesus as easily as the Pharisees. Now again, I'm not talking about riles up in a, in a sinful way, but a, a genuine, no one uh, makes Jesus righteously angry faster than the Pharisees. All right, These are the people that probably really tested Jesus' ability to love. He, he had to purposefully love them, I bet. Uh, and, and he said, I was tempted in all things. This was his testing for if he could love. And guess what? He loved them. But they would frustrate him. No one could frustrate him quite like them. In uh, the... Verse 2, and in verse 2 we read that they have come from Jerusalem. Now why did they come from Jerusalem? Because just like the crowds, they are fans of Jesus, right? They, they love Jesus, and so they are coming from Jerusalem. They can't get enough of him, following him around, can't get enough of this guy. No, they have made the journey with a purposeful mindset from Jerusalem to come and continue to attempt to catch him in something that will disqualify him or make him look foolish or make his uh, words mean meaningless. They have come with the expressed intent and purpose to ruin him. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not have people traveling wherever I go on a regular basis with the express purpose of catching me in whatever I say. Oh, 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 I heard what you said there. I heard what you said there. I'm going to report that back. Okay. That would be miserable. And yet this is the, the context which we read uh, this first uh, portion here of Scripture is that the Pharisees and the scribes, now the scribes as I understand it are um, connected to the Pharisees. They were as well teachers of the laws, but they were the enforcers of the laws. They understood the, the law. So that many times it's referred to them that they were the lawyers uh, of the day. They were, um, had the express purpose of uh, interpreting the law and defending the law. 
or their version of the law. And so they're following. So not only the Pharisees, the religious leaders, but also these lawyers are following along with the hope that they can catch Jesus in something. And so the first thing they do is they make an dis- uh, accusation against the disciples. And now it's interesting. Their purpose, if someone was following me around, how long would it take them before they could find fault in me? Man, it would not take long. It would not take long as someone was, was next to me, shadowing me, for them to be able to point out, <laughs> but with Jesus, they had been following him along for a long time. And the part of their frustration is that they could not find the ammo they needed to ruin this man. So what do they do? They take a shot at the disciples. All right, we we got him. We're going to go through disciples. We're going to discredit him by those that he has chosen to surround himself, by those he calls his followers. We're going to look at their character and their content, and we're going to judge that man by that. And so they tried to a character assassination through the disciples. Really interesting. And I think they thought they had him. And we read that they say, listen, listen, Jesus, what is going on? We just saw your boys eating. Guess what? They are not observing the laws that we have created. Now, when you read it through the first time, it sounds like they're eating with dirty hands, and that's what they're. And I can get upset about that. You know, they they don't wash the hands before they eat. Yeah, that's gross. But that's that's not even what it's talking about. You see, the washing of hands inside of the context of this portion is a ceremony that was created, an extra-biblical, extra um, thing that they had created, a ceremony that they had taught the Jewish people to follow for them to be ceremonial clean. And so they would wash the pots and the food accessories all in the same exact way, every time as a ritual. And they'd wash their hands, I'm told, all the way up to their elbow in a very ritualistic way to prove that they were ceremonial, ceremonially clean, a few more syllables there, to be able to eat that food. And they looked and they said, listen, Jesus, um, your disciples, they are not doing that. I don't know if you noticed that, but they are not uh, following what's going on. And I fully believe that they thought they really had Jesus here. And uh, Jesus, I think, probably surprises them with the strength of his response. And if you're a follower of Jesus and, and you get if you're a follower of Jesus and uh, you start getting frustrated with the Pharisees as well, you love when Jesus puts them in their place. So let, let's read that because that's a fun, fun portion. Verse six. Jesus quotes scripture here to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he said to them, rightly. Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. 
But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that, that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such things as that. Jesus says some strong things. Verse 6 again, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Nothing frustrated Jesus more than the Pharisees. And this is a perfect summation of what the Pharisees were all about. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I feel like it's impossible for us to go any further without stopping to make some application. This is the challenge for every follower of Jesus. This is the danger for every true follower of Jesus. You honor me with your lips. You come to church and you sing. Uh, you, you pray to me. You, 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 you talk to your other Christian friends about me. You, you, you honor me. You, you, you express with your words and your mouth that you know my rightful place in your life. But your heart is far from me. That's a scary thing. And I've been there. I've been there on several occasions where I'm saying all the right things and saying all the things that need to be heard so that I can continue to keep the appearance that I want to keep. And yet my heart is struggling or not, not in line with what the words that I'm saying, whether it be a sin issue or whether it be something I'm holding against someone else, which is a sin. But all of those things in the, in the background happening in my heart while I continue to act like everything is hunky-dory with my words. And what's crazy is when we hold that kind of living where we are refusing to show that we have issues and, and problems and, and, and acting, uh, suppressing that truth in our life but continuing to express like everything is fine and we are perfect followers of Jesus, we have become what? Hypocrites. Pharisees. Nothing frustrates Jesus more than the Pharisees. Jesus, like he always does, to, to point out um, their error, he, he, he quotes Scripture. And uh, he quotes Isaiah to talk to them about the state of their hearts. And he calls them out on these made-up, man-made rules that reveal the true nature of their heart. He calls them out on the things that they have done that show that they are not interested in truly a real relationship of honor and love to God. They are more interested in using the appearance of a relationship with God to get what they want. And he calls them out on it. So rather than melting when they make this accusation against his disciples, he goes on the offensive and says, no, listen, no, you're not going to get away with that. That's incorrect. That's untruth. Let me tell you some truth. Jesus addresses uh, the crowd all around him next to, to make some sense. So he's done, done with those guys. Well, let me address the, the example, the one example that he had given him. Moses in the law, the, the commandment said, Honor your father 
and your mother. And what that meant was that when your dad or your mom became elderly, was no longer able to provide for themselves, what does it mean to honor your father and mother in that case? Well, you as their child, take care of them. Unless there's extenuating circumstances where someone is impossible to take care of. Let's just do it. No. No. The truth is that that's your role. That's your obligation to honor your father and mother. And the Pharisees, seeing an opportunity to, one, not do something that's difficult, make up this rule and they say, what you can do is if you say that that money... And those provisions that you are going to use to take care of your elderly parents, all that money and that provision that you were going to use for them, you say, oh, you know what, Bob, this is Corbin, which is under the Lord. Then what you can do is say, sorry, man, my hands are clean of the responsibility to take care of you and mom. And you say that because this money is for the Lord. Now, Jesus addresses that, but the crazy thing is, according to the tradition, is that the Pharisees then wouldn't even require those people that were claiming this was under the Lord to give that money to the temple or give that money to something else. So it was just a convenient man-made rule that instead of following the heart of God was made up so that we could, with all good conscience and good appearance, do something entirely evil. And Jesus calls them out on it right, right in front of everybody. And he, he points out the hypocrisy of it in front of everybody. I wonder why they didn't like him. An example um, would be uh, pop, mom and dad right now, I appreciate there, and many of you have, have done it. Um, have it. Mom and dad are, are taking care of uh, Grandpa Phil. And there's um, some provisions that are made for Grandpa Phil. Well, an example of what was happening to make it real was someone consider, those of you that visited Grandpa Phil, consider his state. They were literally saying, you're on your own. Now, someone in that state that's on their own is as good as dead. It's interesting that the perversion of the truth can lead us to some horrific things, can it? The perversion of the truth aligned with what's in our heart can lead us to do some horrific things. And in this case, those people screaming uh, untruths in the name of God were allowing people to do some awful things. And Jesus is frustrated with that. Jesus addresses the crowd, so he calls out the Pharisees and the scribes, and then he addresses the crowd, and he says, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, this is verse 14, sorry, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Let me stop there again. Think of how, how true that is in our life. Listen to me, and you understand. Is that true about Jesus? Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Verse 15, There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles the man. If anyone has ears to hear, 
let him hear. So Jesus addresses the crowd after pointing out to the disciples, and he says, listen, it is not about what you're eating or how you're eating it. He says, that stuff is, is, is details. The, the true thing is about the heart. The true issue is about the heart. And he'll get even specific here. Let's actually look at that. Because then he, he addresses um, his disciples and kind of explains it even further for them. Verse 17. We'll keep reading. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever, whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, and as well as deceit and sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. There's a little kid's movie called How to Train a Dragon that we, we have. And it's pretty funny. I don't know if you've seen it. But there's a, a father, and the father is a bit overbearing, and he expects a lot from his son, and his son is kind of a mess up. and He's, he's weak. His father's the strongest uh, head of the village. His son's a, a kind of a weakling. And uh, his father says to his son, his son's standing there, and, and the son has shamed his father, and, and his father says, I, I don't know if I can handle all of this. And he goes, and it goes like this, and his son says, but you just motioned to all of me. And that was the truth, that, that the father was really disappointed in everything his son was about. And when someone comes to us and, and was to ask, if we were to ask, okay, what's wrong with, with us? They just motioned to all of us. Because we are messed up. We have serious heart issues. And Jesus saying to his disciples, listen, don't you guys understand the, the greater issue here? It's not about the food. It's not about what goes in because it's about the heart and what comes out of the heart. You've heard uh, the phrase, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians that uh, claim Jesus with their mouth but then deny him by their lifestyle. That statement's not true. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is the fact that we are serious sinners with awful hearts that will reject God at every opportunity we can. Now, the fact that there's believers that are denying Jesus and are denying Him by their lifestyle, that, that obviously is a, a huge, huge hurt. But the truth is, on our own, we will not seek God. On our own, in our own hearts, left to our own, we have nothing good to offer. And this is a theme that permeates uh, the whole chapter 7 of Mark. The heart of man. Something that the Lord has really been working on me lately is this, uh, this problem 
that we have of, of uh, trying to think how to phrase it just right. It's a problem that we have of, of faking it. It's a problem we have of saying the right things and, and doing the right things uh, and then denying Him with our lifestyle. And it's mixed together with uh, this inability to understand who we really are. The proper understanding of who we really are without God and what our value and worth really is apart from God is found in this book and in this chapter. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within. We are losers. We have to get to the point that we understand who we are apart from Jesus. See, one of the greatest problems that I believe we're facing as a church uh, here and as a church worldwide is that we have lost sight of who we really are apart from Christ. You see, when you start to lose the, the vision and the understanding that you are messed up, when you, when you start to forget how rotten your heart really is apart from God and the work He's done, when you elevate yourself to a different level than you should be elevating yourself, because if you took the time every day, if I took the time every day to recognize who I really am, what I've really been saved from, where I've come from, and, and, and what kind of things I've done out of the evil of my heart, there should be zero room for pride and arrogance, should there? We have nothing to be proud of. Nothing to brag about in our own self and in our own strength. And one of the great problems that arises in the Christian culture is this ability to ignore who we really are apart from God. And out of that comes a way of treating one another that is just really ugly. You see, the ability to be transparent in front of one another, it leaves when we don't have an understanding of who we really are. The ability to love one another despite what others may say or do leaves when we don't have an understanding of who we really are. People that have been brought out of the pit, that have been saved from their own wretchedness, should have no problem showing that same grace on a regular basis to those that are hurtful and harmful to them. Am I right? And yet, if you're like me, one of the hardest things to do is to show grace to others that are hurtful or harmful to us. And every time I do that, it's because I have a misunderstanding of who I really am. I feel like I need a card in my wallet. So every time I get my, my wallet out 
and I go to pay for something, there's a little card and said, help, bench, you're messed up, just remember. And I can see that. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> if we lose sight of who we are apart from God, we become nothing more than the Pharisees. We have zero chance of, of having a true communion that is based on, on who He is instead of who we are. When we evaluate our own hearts, we have to understand that we are uh, grace-filled sinners. We talk a lot in the past. We've talked a lot about how important it is now to know our, our identity in Christ and how much joy and and how much um, just satisfaction there can be in knowing that I'm the Son of the King, that I'm forgiven that I am no longer who I once was. And that is beautiful. And that is outstanding. In fact, it, it, can, it can bring me a confidence to live in this world that I don't belong when I understand who I am in, in Christ and the fact that, that He bankrupt heaven, that He sent His own Son to die on my behalf so that I could be with Him again. That, that is powerful to understand that that's who I am. I'm the Son of the King, the Most High King. The, the God of heaven loves me. And it's so outstanding to know that. And yet, if I only focus on that and lose the fact that I was once such a sinner and, and, and I, I deserve nothing, then I've missed it. Because who I am now is based also on who I was. And it's wrapped up in the grace of God. And without a true understanding of that, without a, a continual mindset of that, that my worth and my value and who I am and my importance doesn't come from me, it comes from, from Jesus and therefore everyone else is more important than me. Without that, we cannot function the way that God calls His disciples to function. So Jesus answers the the questions of, of man and, and uh, I didn't even realize this, but Mark 7 is really where my life verse comes from and I didn't even understand that till I looked closer and found it. But verse 19 um, is really my favorite verse at this point. So read this together. Because it does not go into this heart but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared, all foods clean. Enter this. <laughs> this is my life verse. Bacon. So mixed in with the hard things that the Lord was telling his disciples is all of a sudden this great news, guys. Hey, by the way, side note, eat all the bacon you want. And that's exciting. That has very little value, but back we go. <laughs> Read with me in verse 24. Jesus got up and went. He went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. So Jesus 
wanting some privacy. I guess I don't know exactly the reasons, but he didn't want anyone to know where he was going. And yet, because of, of the name recognition, the face recognition that he had, because he was healing people and, and, and the kind of teaching he was giving, he could not go anywhere without being noticed. And so for whatever his reasons were for wanting to, to enter, whether it be for a, a 20-minute nap or whether it be for, to rest, to continue to teach his disciples, it was interrupted. And uh, verse 25, After hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, and, and what I believe this is, is a, a woman whose, whose daughter had actually been um, possessed by, by a demon of some sort, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Syrophoenician race. And she kept coming asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So let's let's just grab a little uh, perspective of this, this lady. She is desperate. She, uh, she understands what's happening to her. Her daughter is out of her control. And so she goes to the only place she can think of that offers hope. That's the feet of the Lord Jesus. And so she pushes her way into this home is what it sounds like. That she ignores the request for a little privacy and, and comes bursting in because she has to get to the man that can help, Jesus. It's interesting that right away, she has an understanding of who she is and who Jesus is, doesn't she? Because what does she do? She throws herself at the feet of Jesus. And this whole portion is, is fantastic. It's, it's confusing and, and makes you say, Lord, what, what are you saying to this poor lady? But the whole portion now that we'll read is, is a test that Jesus is giving to this lady. And you know what the test is? The test is, is your heart in the right place? Do you understand who you are and who I am? Or are you just going to be like the, the rest of the Pharisees and the rest of the people that I've been healing that are just takers? That are here to just to take the things I can do for them and walk away? And, and, and So he is testing her now. So let's read what happens. Verse 27. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Anyone else read that and think to themselves, uh, what did he just say? Why, why is he talking to her that way? And when I read it, 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 it does. It makes me a little uncomfortable. But guess what? Jesus makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't he? But Jesus is unafraid here to say something brash because he is testing this woman's heart. He's testing to see if her heart is in the right place. Is she just a taker? Is she just someone that is, is, is going to take something and then deny me, walk away and deny me? Or is, is her heart humbled? Does she understand her need? And what does he mean, if we break this verse down a little bit, we won't take a lot of time, but um, let the children be satisfied first. She's a Gentile. And Jesus' ministry to this, this point has been to the Jewish people. And so this is an example, one of the first examples of Jesus reaching out to the Gentiles. Letting everyone know that his ministry on earth was not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. 
But he says it to her. He says, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, instead of getting her feelings hurt, she acknowledged, wait, I, yeah, I, I know. I am a dog. I, I am nothing. And listen to this response because it's beautiful and it needs to be our response when we come to the Lord. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Jesus tests her and she passes. And with humility in her heart, with an understanding of who she is and who Jesus is, she still begs for His grace. And He gives His grace freely. A side note of that is that her daughter is not in front of Jesus. And so Jesus, the fully man, fully God, is sitting here and heals someone miles away. Not too bad. He didn't say a word. He didn't lay his hands on her. He didn't do anything. But when God decides to heal someone, there is nothing that is outside of, of his bounds. There is nothing outside of his capability and his doing it. It's a, it's a picture that Jesus the man was also Jesus the God. And that is a, a powerful thing we need to remember as we look at that. And going home, back to her home, and going back to her home, sorry, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. I can I wonder what she was thinking as she's running back, not not knowing exactly what to expect, or maybe she had full faith that her daughter had been healed, but I can't imagine the relief of walking in and seeing uh, the child who had been possessed laying in, in there on the bed in the right mind resting. Jesus does wonderful things. The last section of this chapter is verse 31 to 37. Jesus heals a man who could not speak or hear. Read with me verse 31. Again he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd. Interesting. By himself, and he, and he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, which is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began to speak plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more wild, wildly they con, widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Here's a man whose life had been, I'm sure, a frustration. Whose life had been difficult. Because back then, I, I, I don't think there were... Uh, any programs for for the those people that had special needs there was you were an outcast if you had a, a, something that was out of the norm 
you were an outcast. And Jesus, once again, goes to an outcast and gives hearing to a deaf man. Um, and then he does something in verse 36. So he heals this man who, who's not been able to speak properly because he can't hear correctly. And, and he heals this man. And all of a sudden this man can hear and he's, he can proclaim now. So he can hear and he can proclaim the truth about Jesus. And Jesus says to him, not to tell anyone. Well, this guy who had just had his life turned upside down, who had just had his life made uh, markedly better, can't contain himself. And uh, that, there's a good discussion. That's a good discussion uh, for you. What, what was the guy supposed to do? Um, and so it, it's interesting. Verse 36. I, I read someone. T- I read a commentator that was just really strong at how sinful this guy was. Even the small we can't overlook even the smallest disobedience. And so that was interesting. And I, I'm I'm going through that. That yeah, it was it maybe it was disobedience that he was supposed to not tell anyone. And yet you relate to this guy that how can you not tell anyone? You know how can you how can you not? Uh, and so I'm I'm interested in, in reading that more and looking into that more. What about that portion? Here's my thought, though. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Here's what's really interesting. Things have switched now. Jesus has been seen as the king. His work was accomplished on the cross. The work that, uh, one of the reasons they think he was asking people to be quiet is because his work was not yet ready to be accomplished. And now, though, here, uh, if we go to the cross and we go to the resurrection, His work has been completed. He has come to earth, lived the perfect life, gave His life on the cross for you and for me to make us whole, to bring us from the state that we were once in, the depravity and evilness of our own heart, and has made us whole. And you know what He's saying to us? Proclaim it! Say it! Listen, guys, do you realize what I did for you? Tell people. Go, you can tell people. Go, come on. Yes. Tell them so they can know me. Tell them so that I can love them. Tell them so that they can have me. Go, go, go. And the more he proclaims it, the less we say it. See, this guy wasn't supposed to say anything. And he couldn't help himself. He was told not to say anything. And he couldn't help but say it. We've been said, we've been told, go say it. We don't say anything. If we understand who we really are, if we understand the condition of our heart, that we are messed up people that have no business having any relationship with God apart from God and apart from what He's done, with that perspective, with that understanding, with that knowledge of, of who we are, if that's truly how we see ourselves, we will proclaim Him. Because when messed up people have their lives changed, they can't help but say it. But when people that have grown arrogant in who they are, that have grown uh, into this blessing that uh, and there's this relationship from their Father and have grown into it like it's something they've grabbed and something that they've earned and something that they've worked for, 
then they're silent. This whole chapter is an outstanding picture of Jesus' request for us to be people of transparency, people with an understanding of who we really are and who it is that saves us. So many of the problems in our church will be solved if we can understand that we are messed up people that have only been saved by grace. And if we can't go back there, if we can't live in that, but if we continue to act like we've earned something and we're entitled to this, then there is no hope for us, one, to effectively reach a lost world, and there's no hope for us to effectively reach one another for the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, You um, are such a good God. I'm so grateful that You sent Your Son, Jesus. I'm so grateful that You sent Him to live on this earth and He experienced um, the things that we experience. He was faced with the, the same trials as, as we get uh, we face on a regular basis. He understood what it was to be hungry and tired. He understood um, what it was to have to deal with people that are completely unlovable. And yet if anyone had the right to not pay attention to the, the lowly, to not pay attention to the unlovable, it was Jesus because of His position of being, being God. Yeah, Father, what I'm so excited about is that um, Jesus humbled Himself. And He reached out to the lowly and the losers and the messed up and the the reason we're all here today is because Jesus reached out to the lowly and the losers and the messed up. God, somewhere along the line, I forgot that I was just a messed up guy that had a whole lot of grace shown to him. And I've hurt people with that attitude. I've, I've hurt my brothers and sisters with that attitude. I've, I've refused to, to talk about Jesus to people that needed him because I had missed out on that understanding of who I really was. God, we don't want to take your grace for granted, and yet that's what we've done. We have seen uh, your forgiveness and your faithfulness as something that we earned and something that we deserved, and that's so far from the truth. Please forgive us from that attitude and help us to understand who we are, God. It's only our position in Christ that gives us any value. It's only you, God, that gives us value. We want to remember that and and cause it to, to make our lives different because of it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.